Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, we're going to get into the Word. Uh, I am excited to preach today. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time, we have been in a series for the last four weeks entitled The Kingdom, a Christian Manifesto, where we are discussing this predominant subject, the predominant teaching of Jesus, this phrase he used time and time again, the kingdom of God. In fact, he used that phrase and that subject matter more than anything else in his teachings, more than prayer, more than grace, more than truth, more than mercy. He talked about the kingdom. It was, it was a major teaching point in his ministry. Uh, and yet, despite its, its prominence in scripture, we don't hear much about the kingdom in our modern day teachings. Uh, and as a result of that, often the, the kingdom of God, these phrases that Jesus uses so frequently in his teachings, they're, they're often misunderstood. And because they're misunderstood, they are misapplied to our daily lives. And the aim of this series is to fix that. If Jesus cared so much about this subject, we should know how this applies to our day-to-day lives. And so we're talking about it so that we can rightly understand and rightly apply the teachings of the kingdom to our day-to-day existence. That that subtitle, A Christian Manifesto, I really like it. It's really well wordsmithed. Uh, But I know manifesto isn't a word we throw around too often, unless we're talking about like communism and stuff. So let me give you a a definition of this word because it really does set us up for what we're gonna learn today. Uh, it, it, It means this, a declaration of policy and aims. A declaration of policy and aims. Uh, in other words, it carries with it the idea that there is a new ruler, a, a, a new established leader, and under their rule, everything is about to dramatically change. As we've been saying every week in this series, everything's about to be boop, inverted, flipped upside down. Hence the reason we've got this graphic up here and uh, a video with everything turning upside down. Ultimately, that's what Jesus was doing. He was flipping the world on its head as he began to speak about this thing called the kingdom. He said, I know that you're accustomed to your world working this way and everything in your world operates this way, but I'm establishing a new rule and a new reign. And if you're going to be one of my followers, if you're gonna be one who buys into this manifesto, buckle up, because we're about to flip everything on its head. Your social construct, your political construct, your economical construct, everything you understand is going to have to be submitted to this new rule and this new reign. And you're gonna start to do things a little bit differently. And ultimately his hope was that as people began to follow him and learn about this thing called the kingdom, that they would become kingdom people, that they would embrace these values in their day-to-day life. And, and so what we've done every single week in this series, as uncomfortable as it might seem, we've been asking ourselves a very confrontational but important question, and that is this, am I a kingdom person? Am I the kind of person that Jesus is talking about here in his teachings? Have the teachings of Jesus, have the ways of Jesus so penetrated my heart that it has completely flipped my constructs upside down? Has it changed the way I think about my future? Has it changed the way I raise my kids? Has it changed the things I value and the things that I invest in? Or has this Jesus thing kind of just been added to the life that I had before I ever came to him? Because if it hasn't completely flipped us upside down, then we're not truly kingdom people yet. But his heart is that we would become those of the kingdom. And we're gonna have to face that question again today. And it will be once again uncomfortable as it has been in the previous weeks. But before we go too deep today, I wanna offer a disclaimer. Um, a, a Surgeon General's warning, if you will, uh, for the sermon. And uh, that is that today might cause some discomfort. 
uh, an upset stomach based on the things that we're going to talk about uh, and all of the other things that the commercials speak of when they tell you about the new medication that's available. Uh, because, I mean, obviously up until now, our, our subjects have, have been uncomfortable. We've talked about making Jesus first in our life and laying down our lives to serve other people and this idea of, of the speed of sanctification, the pace of which God's doing in your life. All of those are uncomfortable. But to be real, those are gonna look kind of like a pillow fight in comparison to the thing that we're gonna talk about today. Because uh, I'm warning you, we're going to get all up in your business today, all up in your world. Uh, as I like to say, we're going for the throat today, all right? Because here's the subject matter we're going to tackle, a kingdom principle that Jesus talked often about. We're going to talk about motive. <laughs> yeah, you feel that? <laughs> Why am I doing the things that I am doing? Motive, motive. I was, uh, I was at another church a couple of weeks ago uh, preaching for a friend of mine. And uh, my wife was here preaching uh, on our stage. And uh, as I finished one of the sermons, I think it was the second or third service, uh, a guy came up to me afterwards and in his deep Southern twang, he's like, pastor, I just want to thank you for bringing the word today. God was speaking to me. And he's, you know, wiping tears. And I'm like, that's awesome, man. And then he made this statement and, and I literally laughed out loud for probably 30 seconds straight. He's like, pastor, you were all up in my briar patch today. And I'm like, <laughs> That sounds inappropriate. <laughs> what he was saying is like, dude, you were all up in my business. You're in my mailbox today. Like you, you were speaking my language. Well, today's a briar patch sermon, all right? So come on, tap someone next to you with a Southern twang and say, it's a briar patch Sunday today, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna dive in. Let me give you a title for this chat. Uh, some of you have the worst Southern accents ever. We're gonna work on that. Priscilla. <laughs> She sounds like Nell when she does her. Some of you don't even know what Nell is. Never mind, moving on. Okay, today here's what we're gonna title this, this chat. Um, stop laughing. <laughs> uh, you guys know how much I love titling sermons after songs, and today is no exception. Uh, we're gonna borrow a title from the 1999 heartthrob sensations, the Backstreet Boys. And I wanna chat, I title this chat this morning, Tell Me Why. Tell me why ain't nothing but a heartache. Tell me why. Tell me why. I never want to hear you say. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Jordan's like, I wish they sang worship like that. I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, how many weren't even alive in 1999? Yeah, okay, my antiquity. Here's the deal. We're gonna need the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. We need, we need open hearts to receive all that God's gonna say about this area of motive. So I wanna pray before we, uh, we get too deep into the scriptures. Um, why don't you put your hand over your heart if you could for just a second and let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Father, we welcome you right now into our lives and into this space. We, uh, we echo what we were just singing a moment ago. We make room for you right now. We open up our hearts to receive your word. And God, I ask that every wall that we've put up that would keep truth out would be torn down. Just as we were saying, tear down every one of those walls of our tradition, our religion, our preconceived ideas of how you work and who you are and speak directly to our hearts today so that we can leave this place transformed with purified motives. We love you. We thank you in advance for what you're gonna do. In Jesus' name and the church said, amen, amen. Um, if you are the type to keep up with the news, uh, you've probably noticed that there's a lot of chatter right now in the news stations and in the apps about 
this upcoming midterm election. There's a lot of stuff going on. If you're not, I'm not gonna get political at church. I don't, I don't do that. I don't even get political in my real life. But um, I, there's a lot of conversations and a lot of speeches being made by potential candidates for office about how if you elect them to be your official, they're gonna do things completely different. They're gonna change everything. And some are saying, if you elect me uh, or if you reelect me, then the world you want is gonna be exactly how it's, it's gonna come to pass. And I was, the, the reelection thing's always been a head scratch to me. I'm like, you had a chance to change it the first time, but you didn't change it. So why would I, like, I was always taught that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. But, you know, you elect whoever you want to elect to, to lead you. Uh, but the, uh, the premise of every politician's speech is this. If, if they're painting a picture of what life will look like if you let them lead your city or your state or your nation, and they're hoping that you'll visualize life completely differently with them in a position of authority or rulership in your world. Well, Jesus was no politician, but he had a very similar speech, a, a public declaration, if you will, to paint a picture for his followers or those considering what life would look like if they truly submitted to his authority. Uh, in its simplest form, we would know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if, you, if you want a, a clear picture of what it looks like to be a kingdom person, if you want to know what it looks like to truly follow Jesus, look no further than the red letters of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's exactly what Christian living is supposed to look like. And Jesus makes it very clear in those passages of Scripture. However, unlike modern preachers, uh, myself included, unfortunately, uh, he does not warm his audience up to truth with humor, jokes, Backstreet Boys songs. He, he doesn't use any of the tricks of the trade, if you will. He just gets right down to business in this sermon. He goes right for the throat, if you will. And as we're gonna look at in just a moment here, in the, some of the opening statements made in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to explore rather aggressively the subject that, that we're discussing today. He gets right to the heart of motive. Look at some of these really countercultural statements that, that Jesus begins to make. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Matthew 5, 27. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust or a man has already committed adultery in his heart. Matthew 5, 33. You've also heard that our ancestors were told, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, don't even swear an oath at all. Matthew 6. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. In like rapid fire fashion, Jesus begins to hit time and time again this area of motive. And he just drills down to the discomfort of his audience. And he doesn't quit for like half the sermon. Like no one's amening Jesus right now. If you are a politician, this is not how you talk. This is not how you win a following over. You do not use this kind of language. These are not winsome words from the Messiah candidate Jesus as he stands on the mountain and begins to declare this public manifesto of what it looks like to follow him. But here's the thing you gotta know about Jesus. He was not interested in cheap politicking or carrot dangling, or, or, or trying to paint this preferable picture of what life would look like, kind of a bait and switch, only to find out, oh, he was lying all along. No, he was brutally honest about what life was going to look like if you were going to be a follower of his. And he is making it abundantly clear here. Your values, your convictions, everything is about to change. 
And according to him, if we are going to be followers, kingdom people, we need to get really comfortable with the uncomfortable, putting our lives under a microscope so that we can examine our motives and answer this question. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing this? Because listen, there's a reason. There's a reason for every action. Even the things that seem unbecoming or surprising, they are loaded with hidden motive. (laughs) There's a reason we are doing the things that we're doing. And if we stand any chance at purifying our motives and becoming kingdom people in this area, we need to get to the source of where our motives come from. And if you're a note taker, you, you can write this down. Here's the source. Our motive starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. Look at what Jesus said in a future sermon, Matthew 12, 35. He he says this, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. In other words, your actions, the outflow of your life, it's ultimately the manifestation of whatever was already in your heart to begin with. If, If your heart is pure, then your motives will be pure. And if your motives are pure, then your actions will be pure. Seems pretty logical. But if there's some toxic stuff in your heart, if there's some doors that we've opened up to allow influence of the world or from the demonic realm to adjust the condition of our heart, as your heart gets polluted, so do your motives. And your motives will ultimately cause you to do things that are evil or wicked, as Jesus says in the scripture. Now, that seems pretty logical. There's a lot of nodding heads in the room right now. You're like, I get it. I get it. That's, I think as people of faith, we understand the importance of, of making sure that our hearts are right. But here's the problem with your heart and with my heart. It's deceptive. Yeah, your, your heart. It's deceptive. It loves to lie to you. And, and our hearts love to try and convince us that our motives are pure when in fact they are loaded with impurity. Let, let, let me prove it to you. Look at what um, the, the, the prophet Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 17, nine. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But, but I, the Lord, I search all hearts and I examine the secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. There's a scripture you probably don't have on the side of your refrigerator right there. No one's writing that one on the bathroom mirror to encourage you in the morning as you're putting on your makeup. Oh, the heart is just the most deceitful of all things. Never seen that one as the verse of the day on the Bible preaching program. You know, I'm like, that's, wait, what? Yeah, the heart is, like, consider the weight of those words for just a moment. The most deceitful of all things Let me say that again. The most deceitful, the most deceptive influence in your life is your heart. Yeah, your heart. Not your ex-boyfriend, not the politician, not the used car salesman, not the gossip you were engaging in on Friday night. Those things are deceptive. But the most deceptive thing, it's your heart. It is lying to you. Now, I know that that is like a completely countercultural idea because that's not the gospel we're preached in America. We're told, follow your heart. What does your heart say to do? Just follow your heart. 
Apparently that's really bad advice because your heart is jacked up. It is lying to you constantly. It is looking to deceive you. And whether we admit it or not, we like to believe our hearts. We, we like to believe that our motives are pure even when our actions are not. We like to believe the lies that our heart tells to us even when we're doing things like justifying revenge or, or the convenience of avoidance or playing the victim or all the things we do that we're like, no, my motives are pure, but that's impossible. Because according to Jesus, the outflow, your actions are a byproduct of those twisted motives in your heart. And Jesus loves us too much. God loves us too much to allow us to be deceived and led by a broken heart. And so he comes, as he says in Jeremiah 17, to expose the secret motives, to reveal what's really happening on the inside so that we don't end up going down a path of destruction and ruining our lives. And so here comes the uncomfortable part of this morning. It's not already. We're going to allow God to do what he promises to do in Jeremiah 17 for a couple of moments. We're going to give him permission to tell me why right now. And here's how we're going to do that. We're going to engage in a little motive exposing exercise. Rather than simply asking ourselves the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because the answer to that question initially is going to be a lie because your heart is going to lie to you we're going to ask a very important follow-up question. And here it is. Why am I really doing <laughs> what I'm doing? <laughs> you see the difference, right? Why am, I, why am I really doing what I'm doing? And, and let's go ahead and start with an area of our lives where we love to lie to ourselves and we love to lie to other people. Uh, let's play a fun game called, why am I really posting what I'm posting <laughs> on social media? This is where the elbows are going to fly for the next couple of moments. Let's start with this. Why am I really posting that photo of what I'm doing or where I'm at with the hashtag blessed? <laughs> is it because I am using the platform of social media to truly bring incense and worship to my God for the blessing that he has given me in my life and I am honoring him and praising him with this photo of me on a boat? Or am I really posting it to compensate because I see how everybody else's life looks on social media and I feel like I have to keep up and I'm pretty unimpressed with the normalcy of my life and an effort to find validation and to feel like I'm a part of what's happening in the societal realm of social media. I just have to post this picture in hopes that people see my life is awesome. I'm not really posting that. Why am I posting this opinion, this tweet, this controversial, societal, divisive thing that's happening right now, why am I posting my opinion out there for everybody to see? Is it truthfully because I believe that my followers will benefit from an alternative perspective on the matter and I'm trying to educate all of them so that they can see things through a different lens? 
Or am I really posting this because I have a divisive and combative spirit and I just want to instigate an argument on social media so that I can posture myself in pride as the omniscient one, the all-knowing one who has the right opinion while everybody else's opinion is wrong and I want to fight with you on social media. Get in my DMs. Why am I really posting this? Why am I posting this photo of myself dressed scantily clad with the hashtag so much yes, 14 A's and 34 S's? Is it really because I felt cute and I might delete later? And I just had a moment of confidence that I wanted to celebrate. Or is it really being posted because I'm desperately looking for validation and affirmation and I'm not getting it from the people that I truly desire to have it from, my spouse, my family, my friends. And so I'd rather have 205 strangers put a little heart on a photo to make me feel validated and affirmed and accept a broken version of it because I'm not getting the healthy version of it that I truly desire. Briar Patch Sunday. Well, why am I really posting these things? Why am I posting that video of myself doing the thing that I'm talented at doing? Is it because I want to inspire people? Is it because I want someone to see me? Like, why am I posting these things? There's, there's a reason I have a, um, an on-again, off-again relationship with social media. And when I am in the seasons of on-again, uh, I predominantly limit my posting to uh, self-depreciating humor and church-related posts because I know me. And I know why I would be posting certain things. And moment of transparency, do you know how many times I've been holding my phone in my hand and I've said to myself, you have two options. You can hit delete or you can hit post. And remember, there's a whole lot of people that sit in your church on Sunday. So you should probably hit delete. I'm gonna go ahead and delete. <laughs> That's me. Like my wife and I literally had this conversation the other day. We're like, we've had to completely redefine why we even take photographs with our phone in these days. Like, Am I taking this photograph so that I can post it? Or am I actually taking this photograph because back in the day, like when we had film and cameras and dark rooms, you didn't take those photos to show a bunch of people. You took them so you could capture a memory for your family. How toxic to tell your kids, I'm actually taking this picture of you, not because I love you that much, just because I want to show you off to the rest of the world, right? <laughs> like these are, we need to check our motives. Why am I really... Okay, I'll move on because this is getting very uncomfortable and I don't want to like shame anyone into deleting social media and go back to handwritten letters, all right? So let's, uh, let's move along. Move along, pastor. All right, how about this? Why am I really avoiding that person? Why am I really walking away from that situation? Why am I leaving that community? Why, why am I not engaging? Why? Is it, is, it, is it truly because God spoke to me and I prayed about it and it's time for me to move on into this next season of my life? Or is it really because I'm too weak to engage in conflict? I'm too immature to do the hard work of restoration. And so I offer a cheap excuse and use God as the scapegoat and say, well, I prayed about it and God told me when God didn't tell you and you didn't pray about it and your actions are actually in violation of scripture, but you wanna blame it on God because you don't wanna take responsibility for yourself. Why am I really walking away from this? Because you can play the God card. People do it all the time. It's an immediate way to shut anybody else's opinion down. Well, God said, okay, how am I gonna compete with that? But guess what? 
you play that card and you move on to the next season and you're stuck with the same person that's in the mirror, that same individual who, who repeats the cycle over and over and over and over again in other environments and in other relationships. And at some point you're gonna have to deal with the motive. We can cloak our motives all we want, but at the end of the day, we know. We know why we're really texting that person that is not our spouse. We know why we're really filing for that divorce. We know why we're really resisting going to counseling. We know why we're really taking that job or leaving. You know. Let's take it a step further because there's still a little bit more air in the room and I just want to suck every last ounce of it out. I will. Maybe just as important as why am I really is this question. Why am I really not? Why am I not reading my Bible? Why am I not praying? Is it truly because my life is so jam-packed, my schedule's so full, I just do not have any time? Or is it really because I'm staying up too late at night and watching stuff on Netflix or trolling Instagram for hours a day or playing a bunch of video games? I love talking to young people. Ma, you just don't understand my schedule. So I said, okay, hand me your phone. Let's look at the little screen time app on your phone and let's see if you truly have any time. Because you've got it in front of you. Wait a minute, might as well open the Bible app, right? You know? I actually get a notification from my phone at the nine o'clock service. Nine o'clock on the dot. Every single Sunday, my phone tells me how much time I've been spending on it. It's a great opportunity for either repentance or rejoicing right there as I get into worship before the Lord. Yeah. Why am I really not? Why am I really not giving? Why am I really not serving? See, here's the thing. Sin is not simply action. Sin can also be inaction. James 4 says, to him who knows to do what is right but doesn't do it, he also sins. And your heart will weaponize things against you to force you into an action. It doesn't have to be sinful to be sinister. Excuse me, sinister to be sinful. You can, you can not do things because of guilt and shame and fear of being rejected. Why am I not taking my next steps? Why am I not getting baptized? Why am I not getting into a group? Is it really because I, I just, I, I can't right now in life? Or is it truly because I'm afraid that someone will see me? I'm afraid that God will judge me? There's a real reason behind every single one of our actions. And we need to be honest with ourselves. Listen, I am not trying to dangle you over the coals right now and make you feel this big before you leave, all right? I would like you to come back next weekend. That is not my goal. But this is important. It's important to allow God to expose our motives so that if there's some stuff inside of us that doesn't belong, we can get it out. It's not healthy to live with these toxic things in our heart. No, God is not trying to expose you to mess you up. He's trying to expose those secret motives so that you can be healed in the process. Let, let, let me bring the nose of this plane up for just a second if I can. Hey, just like you have motives, God's got motives. And his motives are always pure because they are always love. He does not want to see you go down a road of isolation or destruction or addiction or anything else that comes if we don't address these areas of motives. No, he wants to dredge these things up so that you can be the healthy, whole, faith-filled individual using your gifts that he's called you to be. Like Scriptures like Jeremiah 17, they're not a threat. He's not like, well, I will reward you as your actions deserve. He's that's not what he's doing. This isn't like to, to intimidate you into obedience. Fear is a horrible motivator for obedience. It always has been, it always will be. At best, it provides temporary, temporary behavior modification, but it does not address the issues of your heart. 
And God is not interested in getting you to temporarily behave for a season. He wants to transform and restore and put a whole new way of living and thinking in your heart. And, and here's the promise today, as the nose of this plane is coming up ever so gently. Here's the promise. If, we will, if we'll do this, if we'll be faithful to allow him to expose our motives, not only will he refine those motives, but listen, he will replace our hearts. He, in fact, let me say it like this. He will give you his heart, which is what you truly want. Uh, most of us, we, we'd be familiar with the story of um, David in the Old Testament and uh, the story of the, the shepherd boy that became the king. Um, but I've been thinking about that story a lot, sharing some of it with our leaders recently. And uh, as I was thinking about today, I just couldn't help but see this reality played out in the life of David, that if you're willing to allow God to expose some things, he, he will give you a new heart. Uh, the story starts in, in 1 Samuel 16. You can go back and read it on your own time, but I'll give you kind of the abbreviated version today. Uh, David, 16-year-old kid, he's out in the fields taking care of his father Jesse's sheep. And uh, the prophet Samuel comes and he knocks on Jesse's door because the current king, Saul, is a wicked guy. And God says, yeah, I can't allow this guy to lead my people any longer. Um, he's, he's not obedient. His, his heart is not for me. And I am looking for a man that is after my heart. And so Je uh, excuse me, Samuel comes to Jesse's house and uh, the Lord tells him, hey, take a look at Jesse's sons and see if there's anyone that's got some prospect there. So kind of a jacked up dad move. Jesse brings seven of his eight sons, leaves David out in the fields, uh, but he parades his other seven sons in front of Samuel. And as Samuel's looking at the candidates for king, he's like, oh, this is, we got some good prospects here. Some good looking guys, they're tall, they're handsome. They got flowing hair, like, yeah, this is good. Got all their teeth. No offense to anyone in Georgia, just kidding. Um, but uh, as he, one, in, uh, one after the other parades in front of Samuel, God says to him, hey, I know that what you see is like someone that's a good candidate, but I actually look at people differently than you do. He makes this amazing statement. He says, Man, God does not look at the outside, but he's looking at the heart. And these guys just don't have my heart. And so Jesse comes, or Samuel comes to Jesse. He's like, so do you, do you, have, any, do you have any other kids? And uh, he's like, well, kind of. This other dude out in the, the fields. He's not my favorite, but I mean, he's mine, you know? He's like, can, can, I, can I see him, please? And so David comes, and as soon as he walks in the door, the Spirit of God says to Samuel, that's the one. There's a man that is after my heart. I want you to anoint him as king. So 16 years old, he pours oil over his head, and he anoints him to be king of Israel. Uh, we don't have time to go through the details for the next 14 years that led to his ascension to the throne. Feel free to go back and check that out on your own time. But... At the age of 30, David is now sitting on the throne of Israel, ruling, reigning, and things are, things are going good. Kingdom is thriving, there's plenty of money, the people are blessed, they're winning all of their wars. But at the apex of his rule, D David makes a catastrophic mistake. And that mistake is the byproduct of some things that he allowed into his heart. One day he's walking out onto his patio after uh, taking a nap and he looks out over his kingdom and he sees a woman bathing out in the distance and he comes to his servant and he says, hey, who is the, the, the woman out there on, on a rooftop bathing? And his servant says, oh, that's Bathsheba. She is the wife of Uriah the, the Hittite who is currently out on the battlefield fighting your wars for you, O king. But, but that information was apparently not enough to dissuade David from telling his servant to go find Bathsheba, bring her into the palace, 
essentially rapes her and ends up getting her pregnant. So now he's got a problem on his hands. He's like, oh, what am I going to do to cover this up? He devises a plan. He brings Uriah back in from the battlefield and he attempts to get him drunk so that he can send him back home and hopes that he'll sleep with his wife and he can pass the pregnancy off onto Uriah. But Uriah is a godly man with integrity and he refuses to do so. And so David has to go to plan B and he ends up sending Uriah with his own death sentence in hand back onto the battlefield and Uriah ends up standing on the front lines and he's murdered because of what David told the army commander to do. Nanny brings Bathsheba into the temple and she becomes his wife after all of the drama unfolds. So, so let's recap. You got a guy who had a man after God's own heart and over the course of a couple of years, he's now an adulterer, a rapist, a murderer, a conspirator, and a liar. What happened to the man of God? What happened to this guy who had a heart for God? And for a minute, it looks like he gets away with it. He's, things are going normal, but then the prophet Nathan shows up one day on David's doorstep and he's like, hey, God, God sees. He knows what you did. Nothing is hidden from the Lord and you can't sweep this one under the rug. And David now has a decision to make. Am I going to continue to go on in life as if everything is fine? People have this decision every single Sunday morning. Am I gonna continue to go on as if everything is fine? Am I going to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit and pretend that everything's okay and I'm gonna just go about life as normal? Or am I going to surrender and realize there's some stuff in my heart that does not belong here and I need to be fixed? And fortunately, David chooses the latter. And I say fortunately because in his response, we get an opportunity to see what should take place anytime our motives are revealed and the Spirit of God speaks to us. Look at how David responds in, in Psalm chapter 51. And with this, I'll invite the band to come as we get prepared to conclude. Psalm 51, verse 10. It says this. These are the words of David in response and repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. D David acknowledges that God's heart here for him is restoration. God's not, heart is not, hey David, you screwed up too much and I'm done with you. His heart is restoration. But his only hope at being restored is if God gives him something that he does not currently have, a clean heart. He acknowledges, create in me. You only create something that is not there. David is aware of the fact that his heart has disintegrated over the course of time, and it no longer is that heart reserved for God as it once was. And so he comes to God in genuine repentance. Remember in week one, we said repentance is not a rebuke from God. It's not a threat from God. It is an invitation. Hey, come close, allow me to restore you. And this is what David does in repentance. He says, God, I, I, used, I used to be a different guy. I, I used to love being in your presence. I, I, I would spend hours meditating on your word. I used to have a heart that was completely and totally for you, a zeal, but 
my heart's gotten sick and I've allowed some things in that don't belong. And as a result, you're right, I blew it. I've made some decisions that are regrettable. But I'm not gonna run from you right now, God. I'm not gonna allow this exposure of secret motives to push me away from you. I'm gonna lean in. I'm gonna engage. Because God, I I don't wanna stay here. I need a new heart. I'm begging you, will you give me a new heart? I know what you've said. A broken, as, as, as Leanne shared earlier, a broken and a contrite heart, God has yet to deny. So will you take this heart of stone and will you give me a heart of flesh and will you make me sensitive to you once again? I wonder how many people here this morning need to have a Psalm 51 kind of moment. A moment where we honestly acknowledge the fact that our heart is sick and it needs some replacing. A moment where we allow this exposure of motives not to push us away from God, but to draw us close to Him so that He can heal, so that He can replace that broken heart that's on the inside of us. And here's what I know. If if we will be faithful to hand our broken hearts over to God, He will replace them. He will give you a new heart. You know how I know that? Because it's exactly what he did for David. The legacy of David, if you fast forward 500 years to Acts 13, which we'll read in just a moment, the legacy of David was not, he died and he was an adulterer. He died and he was a rapist. He died and he was a murderer. That was not his legacy. Look at how the apostle Luke remembers David some 500 years later. This is what's written about him, Acts 13, 22. God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my heart. (laughs) That's his legacy. That's the legacy I want. When I'm dead and gone, I wanna be known as a man who was after God's heart. And I would be willing to bet that most every single person in this room would like to have a similar legacy. That's how I wanna be remembered. But here's what it's required of us. We gotta stop believing that liar on the inside of us that's telling us, you don't need to change. It was their problem, they did it, everyone else is messed up, your motives are pure. Silence that voice and acknowledge, I need a new heart. And hand ours over and in repentance, allow God to give us a new heart. And that's available to every person in this room today. In fact, that's how I wanna conclude. I wanna pray over our community as we conclude that if we need to, we'd make that exchange this morning. Why don't you bow your heads? Father, right now, we, we, we thank you for this invitation. We thank you that your exposure is never to lead us to a place of destruction or distance from you. You expose these things so that you can heal us. And I pray right now for any person in this room who's in that season that David found himself in, where the heart had had gotten hard and sensitivity to the things of the spirit were lost. It was just going through the motions. If anyone's there, God, I pray right now that they would be bold enough to make that exchange. In fact, if that's you, just begin to tell God right where you're sitting right now, you can tell him in your heart, God, I hand this over to you. Isaiah 61 says that 
There's a beautiful exchange available in God. He'll give you beauty for ashes, joy for mourning. I even echo David's words at the conclusion of this prayer that you would restore the joy of our salvation again. Come on, you remember what it was like when you first gave your life to Christ? The, things that fell off, the sin that was no longer weighing you down, the shame, the guilt that seemed to be washed away. And there was this, this smile on your face that was, being, that, that was being drawn from something on the inside of you. The enemy couldn't wipe it away. That's joy. God, we pray for joy to return to this journey of faith. For anyone who's been beat down, anyone who's tired, we make that exchange today. And as we conclude here in just a second, before we do, I want, I want to pray for one more group of people. And that would be those who are here this morning and say, Tim, um, you're talking about David and this guy who used to have a heart for God, but then didn't. I, I, I'm in that category. I, I, I don't even know if I know God. I, I've never made a decision to follow him. Or maybe I did a long time ago, but I've been in a distance and more than just a new heart, I need to recommit my life to him today. I know because the Holy Spirit's speaking to me, tapping on my heart, and I know that I need to get things right with Him before I leave this space. I want to give you an opportunity to do that and pray a simple prayer of commitment with you before we leave. As I do that, I'm going to ask this question. Um, I'm going to ask you to identify yourself, and, and here's why. I, I do pray every single week as people lift their hands. There were six or seven in the first service. and They look up at me with their hand lifted. I see that face, and I see that hand all week long, and I pray. I pray for you as you make this decision to follow Jesus again pray that the enemy would not rob you in that first week and detour your life, but that that decision would be protected. So, so I'm going to ask again this morning, if that's you today, if you're here and you know you need to get things right with God before you leave this place and say, Tim, I need to be included in that prayer. Would you lift your hand up and look at me so that I know who I'm praying with? Right on, bro. Got you there. Yeah, right over there, ma'am. Sweet. Right over there back. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Right over there in the back. Awesome. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Yeah. Over here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray this out loud. You can pray it in your heart and just repeat it after me. Just say, Jesus, today I give you my heart. I give you my life. I thank you that you gave your life for me. You died on a cross so that I could be forgiven and you resurrected from the grave so that I could have new life. Today, I choose to follow you. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways, from this moment forward until that day where I see you in heaven and you look me in the eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. Today I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we just celebrate every single one of those who lifted their hand and pray that with us this morning? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.